The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself. Because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order? Cashback guru? Low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you. Because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store. Even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. This is the story of Harry's. For decades, one big razor company has relentlessly increased prices and reaped immense profits at the expense of its customers. Then one day, an ordinary guy got ripped off buying razors. He was so fed up that he and his best friend started a company to fix shaving. They called it Harry's. By taking less profit and selling online, Harry's can offer quality blades for less. You can even get Harry's 5-blade razor and shave gel for free when you sign up. Just cover shipping. Click or go to harrys.com and enter code RAZOR at checkout. That's RAZOR, R-A-Z-O-R. Welcome to the Rotowire Prospect Podcast. I'm Clay Link alongside James Anderson. Uh, we are still working to get that separate RSS feed built. Should be up probably by next week, but currently this podcast just is just in the Rotowire Fantasy Baseball Podcast feed. Uh, James, good to be on. This is our fifth episode now. Hard to believe uh got this many in already, but uh, you finished up your Farm Futures uh, series, at least as far as looking at top prospects by team in each division. You did all six, uh, but you have still going with the series here with the uh, your latest piece where you tiered the top prospects for 2015, focusing exclusively on this year. Really good piece, and you, you also had a, a Super 2 uh, article as well where you kind of explain those rules we'll get to that a little later but first want to get to the hitters for shallower leagues uh, for 2015 your top seven options we'll start at number seven Yasmani Tomas of the Diamondbacks I mean the big question here is is about 
you know where he's going to play. But do you think, regardless, it'll be able to to produce at a, at a valuable and, and useful clip? Yeah, I. It was really tough for me to rank to to figure out who I wanted to put six and who I wanted to put seven out of out of these last two guys here in this tier. But uh, Tomas to me just has has a a good amount of bust potential, uh, especially based on where he's kind of getting drafted. I. I think that maybe, you know, eventually he might kind of turn into sort of uh, Marlon Bird was a name that, that DVR threw out on the, the pod yesterday, and I, I could kind of go along with that. But mm-hmm. that's not really how people are treating him. I think, you know, the fact that he's Cuban and everything, everyone sort of expects him to sort of hit the ground running. I, I don't see that as a very likely situation, especially since they just don't really know where they're going to play him. I mean, they have – a decent amount of options in the outfield and if you can't play third base then that means that they're possibly going to be playing him over someone who's more ready than yeah. than he is at this moment you know he's shown pretty decent power so far this spring i mean he's got four extra base hits two doubles a triple a homer but he's batting just 212 with a 257 on base again you can't read much into it but you know that combined with the struggles at third base uh and you know you take away that third base eligibility and just throw them just into the outfield pool. Not, not a whole lot to like. I'm still a little surprised that he is behind Dalton Pompey. who You have at six uh, Pompey, of course, you know, shot through that system last year. I think started at, at low a all the way to the majors, which is really impressive. And, you know, fared well in the Arizona fall league as well. He's somebody who I'm definitely interested in, but do you see any chance like, when when Michael Saunders comes back, you think Kevin Pillar could maybe push him for playing time? It's going to be all up to Pompey, I think. If if Pompey is playing up to kind of the level I think the Blue Jays expect him to, then I, I think he holds that starting job all season long. Uh, obviously, if he if he's really struggling, if he's getting on base at a sub three hundred clip or something like that, then I could see him him having to give up some playing time i'm I'm probably not going to own pompey or tomas in any leagues just because I, I feel like i'm probably further down on both guys compared to to the rest of the industry but at least with pompey I'm, I'm pretty confident that he'll be able to play almost every day he'll be able to give you 25 to 35 steals and you know the the runs and the rbis based on sort of where he where he's going to be going in drafts is going to be fine but you know i like i said I, I don't see myself ending up with either of these guys you know i was surprised for at how much dalton pompey went for in the staff that was crazy too. 17 bucks people may be sick of hearing us talk about it but i don't care i'm just gonna <laughs> keep talking about staff Keeper that was League crazy too. 17 bucks and yeah. that's i mean that that's just not he would have to hit the absolute high end of his potential hmm. to to earn that even as a, a keeper so yeah i mean that uh, don't don't treat him like that yeah. he's not like people throw i mean prospects like just because he's lumped in as a prospect he's technically a prospect he's not a high upside prospect he's yeah. not a guy that's gonna you know end up ever being a top 50 overall player or anything like that in fantasy he's just kind of a guy yeah i agree and you know i also agree with the fact that even if he does hit ninth in that order that he could still steal 25 to 35 bases. I do think, you know, nice source of steals, but I'm with you that, you know, maybe people look at that rise through the system last year and they're putting a bit too much stock into him. But number uh, next up on your list at number five, Jock Peterson of the Dodgers. 
I, I another guy that I'm kind of surprised at where you have him, but I certainly see the argument. I was watching a game last week uh, against the Cubs where, you know, he, he looked really bad against John Lester. He has that high leg kick, that timing mechanism, and you know the numbers against lefties haven't always haven't been great by any means. I think he will probably platoon. Um, is that what really factored in, into him being here? Is it just the fact that he's probably going to sit frequently against left-handers? Yeah, well, that's that's part of it. I I think that he he does probably see fewer plate appearances than even Dalton Pompey this year. Uh, the batting average is a concern. I I like the power. I like the speed. I think that those will be assets. But uh, he, along with several other guys in this tier, I would not bet on them hitting above two fifty, two fifty five. That's surprising. Yeah, I mean, but I understand it. Even if he isn't a platoon and you shield him from left-handed pitching. I agree that that could, could be the case. I mean, that that's down there. And, and what was really troubling for me, not just so much that he's, you know, struck out against, against the lefty and, and didn't look good. It's just the fact that, that, that leg kick, that timing mechanism it is nice on fastballs, but I think, you know, he has a hard time getting his foot down on time against breaking pitches. He, he was, you know, I think, he was way late when I saw him, and I think that could be an issue. Now, last year at AAA, he did hit 299, 422 uh, with a 598 slug against lefties. But I think, you know, especially early on, it's going to be hard to really expect that to translate to the major league level. He's also not on a team or with a manager that's ideal for, you know, a prospect breaking into the big leagues, really. I mean, mm-hmm. you'd want him to be somewhere where the the expectations aren't that great, where they're not – dead set on winning a championship I mean they have they're not the best options in the world but they have options behind him and and we've seen Don Mattingly have kind of a a quick quick trigger with pulling young guys from the lineup if he if he feels like it so I mean that the playing time's far from guaranteed yeah I'm with you there uh so far this spring for Peterson 10 games he is batting 409 still uh one homer three RBIs six strikeouts two walks uh so so nice showing but and I, I think he's you know locked to be on the the favorable end of that platoon to start the year but um another guy who's you know pro- prospect pedigree in the hype surrounding him maybe bumping him up a bit too high on boards next up at number four you have Rusne Castillo which I love to see having traded for him to be the face of the Chais uh in SKL2 temporary face of the Chais, but <laughs> I mean I like the guy quite a bit I mean 10 game sample last year was very small but the, but the raw tools are really impressive. Of course, slowed by an oblique injury so far this spring, but uh, sounds like he could get into games as soon as tomorrow on Wednesday. Uh, manager John Farrell thinks he said he thinks Castillo will be game ready by Wednesday. Castillo took batting practice for the first time on Monday. Said he was at a hundred percent. Good to see now competing with uh, at least in name competing with Mookie Betts for the center field job. But you know Betts. With with the early, the hot start he's had to spring action, you know, looking really comfortable in center. Uh, where do you think Castillo will fit in? Do you think you know he heads to the minors to start the year and comes up, or do you think, um, you know, maybe there'll there'll be a room for him on the opening day roster, regardless? Yeah, I mean that's that's kind of the the million dollar question. I don't think anybody really knows what's going to happen with whoever they decide is the fourth man out in that outfield because they're going to be rostering Alan Craig anyways uh, barring some last minute trade here so do they really want to I mean how many how many guys do they have room for really I mean I, I think that 
I think that he still gets more plate appearances this year than Shane Victorino, and I think Mookie Betts also gets more plate appearances than Shane Victorino. So I'm just kind of betting on, you know, Castillo. I would take Castillo's 450 to 500 plate appearances over Jack Peterson's 550 plate appearances just because I think the batting average is going to be significantly higher. Uh the, the run scoring environment in that ballpark and that lineup is going to be better. I, I just think that, you know, his what when he's out there, the production is going to be pretty awesome. Yeah, I do too. I mean, I wrote a blog looking at, you know, our projections for him, but also projections from, you know, Steamer and fans. And, you know, the, the consensus seemed to be that he was pretty much a lock for – this was before he went down with the injury, though – a lock for double-digit homers and 20-plus steals. And when you talk about that kind of production in fantasy, I mean, plus a, a solid uh, batting average, and you put him in that lineup, I really think the upside is there. The uncertainty now could create a nice you know, profit margin for owners too. But I, at last I saw, he, he was still going ahead of Mookie Betts. I mean, at this point, uh, that, that's crazy to me that you can't, you can't justify doing that. Uh, but next up, Steven Souza, outfielder for the Rays. James, you got him in a steal in our keeper league. I was pretty upset about that. No, but uh, I, I really like what this guy brings to the table. Didn't really, you know, there just wasn't room for him in Washington, but he heads to t- Tampa Bay now. Uh, you know, the the offensive uh, ceiling is, is something that, that definitely interests me. But, but in this first year, what are you expecting? You know, I think he... He probably he basically kind of does exactly what I think people think Jack Peterson's going to do, but I think he gets more plate appearances, and I think the average is going to be a, maybe a, a touch higher. Uh, at least the on base percentage uh, should be should be kind of a little bit better than Peterson's. I would I would think. I I, I just like the the fact that I mean the the high end of some projection systems like I know Pakoda has him going like twenty five twenty five or something like that. And, you know, projection systems are always um, having a hard time doing, you know, deciding what a prospect's going to do because all they have to work on is what they were doing in the minor leagues. But still, I mean, they they tend to kind of err on the side of being pessimistic. And it's really hard. I mean, you could even go to the most uh, pessimistic projection and he would still be, you know, projected to hit 15-15 or something like that. So I just think that the the – counting stats the floor is is so high and they don't really have uh a better option than him so i i, I just like suzo a lot and and he's his draft price hasn't caught up to the the hype to the mm-hmm. point that i thought it would at this point in the season yeah i think it's starting to trend upward but hasn't hasn't gotten anywhere close to where it should be at least as far as i'm concerned i mean you look at suzo's numbers last year at triple a syracuse 350 average 432 on base 590 slug 18 homers, 26 RBIs in just 96 games. And that's 407 plate appearances. Uh, pretty incredible. Now, it didn't fare well in his 21-game you know, audition with the Major League Club, but looking at our numbers for him, 262 average, 308, 308 on base, 435 slug, 16 homers, 12 stolen bases, 71 runs, uh, 56 RBI. I mean, all due respect to Jeff Erickson, but I think that's – to me, that's closer to the floor for Steven Souza. I think there's still quite a bit of upside there. Uh, let's jump to uh, our next next guy on the list here. Uh, I'm sorry, I got away from it because I clicked on Steven Souza. 
Uh, but you have Jorge Soler number two on your list for hitters for shallower leagues in your you know tier for top prospects for 2015. Soler definitely interesting. Uh, both guys at one and two out here are Cubs. Of course, Chris Bryant, no surprise, he's at number one. Uh, Soler though, he's not gonna you know have you know super two service time considerations to really worry about at all. I, I want to know what what do you think the upside is here with him? I think you probably get uh, kind of what you're paying for with a guy like Marcelo Zuna, uh, you know, a guy like uh, Jay Bruce. Maybe I mean he's going to get you twenty five ish homers. I mean I could see him being slightly under twenty five. I could see him touching thirty too if everything goes well. Uh, he's kind of got he he's got so much upside that he hasn't really tapped into at the big league level yet because pitchers kind of were finding out how to get him out last year. Uh, after his first few weeks or so with the Cubs, he's kind of got a a weak spot on the outside of the plate. I mean, he he doesn't miss in when when a guy throws anything in. I mean, he can turn on it and take it out, but uh, you know, on the outer third of the plate, he's still really cold on his his heat map. So I mean, that's where people are gonna kind of force him to to improve upon. But if he can make that adjustment, I mean, even if he doesn't make that adjustment, he's still gonna hit you know, enough on the balls in the inner two thirds to, to put up good enough stats to be worthy of a top one fifty pick. But if he is able to kind of improve on some of his weaknesses that he was showing at the end of last year, then could be looking at a top seventy five, top fifty guy and he's gonna be playing right field all season long for the Cubs. I'm excited definitely and you know, unlike Souza though, his his ADP really is kind of reflective yeah, of, of there's no that bargain potential. with him yeah, really. Exactly. One eighteen right now for him over a hundred spots higher than Souza, uh, but I, again, that that number for Souza is creeping up a little bit. Souza's been taken as high as one thirty, while Soler has gone as high as sixty three. So I mean, I like both players. I don't think there should be that big a gap between them. Now, the the big question everybody's talking about: Chris Bryant, I mean, outstanding start to spring ball. He's dealing with a bit of a shoulder issue right now, but uh, he's been able to swing through it recently. I mean, two more home runs Saturday, but. You know, I said it in, in the blog post. I, I just, as much as he as he hits right now, he could hit six more homers this spring. I don't think it changes anything uh, because preserving preserving a year of his service time. I mean, for a player of that caliber, is only smart business. Is is that what you think the Cubs do? You think there's any chance he, he breaks camp on this team? No, but I I don't think it really matters that much. Uh, you know, that piece that you hinted on that what we're getting to in a little bit is just kind of a reader requested that we sort of break down the what it means like what super two means what you know teams are going to do with some of these players for preserving you know an extra year of service time for arbitration purposes stuff like that bryant should be up in Mm mid-april uh even if he doesn't break camp with the team so that's just you're missing about 10 games 10, 10 or 12 games or so i mean that's not enough to really ding him too much in my eyes i actually flipped Brian and Solaire from where I had them in the, the Cubs uh, farm system rankings for their value for this year. And it was, they were really close when I did that. And then, you know, Brian just came out and it's just setting, setting Arizona on fire right now. So it was just hard for me to kind of ignore that. And I think that, I think, you know, I think if he, he debuts in mid April, we're going to probably be looking at 30 homers from him. Took part in some throwing Tuesday afternoon, said he would play through the soreness if it were the regular season. And again, uh, the shoulder issue not not inhibiting his his abilities at the plate. Now looking at his projection, 
uh, from our site for Chris Bryant. 244 average, 168 strikeouts, but 26 homers, 80 RBI, 79 runs. Definitely uh, useful. But do you think that there's a chance that he could hit for, for a significantly better average than that if he's able to uh, cut down the strikeouts? Or do you think the swing and miss just uh, will inevitably lead to a relatively low average? I wouldn't feel comfortable predicting him hitting any better than 265 or so as a rookie but i think with time you'll see him kind of creep up into the the sort of 275 280 range during his prime years you know i agree with that and looking at other projectionist systems uh, steamer has 260 fans 266 zips 256 so i think that you know 250 265 range is is kind of the upside i agree with that but you know, Jeff Erickson thinks you know sees uh, s- some significant downside with the average, but outstanding power potential. We have the updated top three fifty due tomorrow, James. Where where do you think you're going to slot slot Chris Bryan in on that? Do you have an idea? I would probably guess top top eighty, um, probably in the fifty to eighty range. I haven't I haven't done mine yet. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you've done yours, but uh, yeah, somewhere around there. Yeah, I had him at. Right at 100 last time, but I'm going to have to bump him into the 80s, I think. Yeah, I haven't haven't set it in stone, definitely not, but I think uh, just how well he's playing right now, I think he definitely deserves a higher pick. Now, we'll we'll jump to the next tier here. This is starting pitchers for mixed leagues. You have uh, six players on this list. Number th- number six on here, though, Anthony Desclafani, who, I, I mean, I like the pitch mix. I think he should definitely have a... a a spot in the Reds rotation, but manager Brian Price kind of suggested recently that, you know, veterans like Jason Marquis, Paul Mahalam may have inside tracks at, at those rotation spots. And of course, Rysel Iglesias getting stretched out as well. Does that affect your expectations for Desclafani at all? Or do you still think he, he forces his way in there eventually? Uh, it kind of has to, I guess. I When I wrote this, that wasn't... Uh, something that had been kind of floated out there yet. So I, I kind of said that he's about the safest in this tier in terms of his role going into 2015, but low ceiling, right? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's not ridiculously low, but I would say, you know, Reds fans and fantasy owners should be happy if he pitches like a number three starter uh, at any point really in his career. I wouldn't, wouldn't expect anything more than that, but uh, just the fact that he's, seems at least like he should be locked into a starting job all year in that rotation puts him in this tier for me I mean he's not the other names we're going to get to are clearly uh, a, a bit above him in terms of the pedigree and the stuff and the, the, the ability to miss bats but I mean I, I still think Desclafani is a top 350 guy for me I mean you'd think he'd have a rotation spot but you know <laughs> you manager Brian Price One doesn't think. always do what what's the most obvious <laughs> and I mean I I just don't know if if he's really the guy to lead the Reds, but uh, that's that's for another day, for another podcast, another pod. But we'll jump to the next guy here, Daniel Norris. Now with the injury to Marcus Stroman, uh, you know it sounds like Aaron Sanchez is, is pretty well locked in, but uh, he he didn't make your list here for starting pitchers for mixed leagues. What makes you think that the Norris is is the better bet here? Yeah, I mean I'm I wouldn't go hard on predicting that either Norris or Sanchez excels this season in that role. But 
I would not be surprised at all if Norris did excel. And the thing about Sanchez is, you know, I, I don't see him going deep into too many games if he's in the rotation. I think that, you know, five, five and a half innings, something like that is, is kind of where he'll be most nights. Whereas Norris, I think, has the the pitch mix and the, the command. Uh, I mean, the command is, is not amazing with, with Norris, but he's got the potential, I think, to, to be a guy that can get you at six or seven innings uh, at least, you know, a handful of times this year. And he's going to miss, I would say, at least at least one one strikeout per inning, I would say, with, with Norris. I, I don't know. I just think he's more fit to be in the, the rotation at this point than Sanchez, even though it, it looks like they'll both yeah. start in there. And I agree. This I think the strikeout upside puts you know puts him in the lead there as far as those two go from a fantasy perspective. And you're looking at at Norris's numbers through three spring starts again. You know, spring starts don't mean spring stats don't mean much, but 3.86 ERA, 2.76 batting average against, three earned runs allowed in seven innings, three walks, nine Ks. I mean, I think he's pitching well enough to. To definitely break camp with that rotation spot, but it's still still a couple weeks to go. Definitely a guy to keep an eye on. Uh, now next up, you have Marco Gonzalez of the of the Cardinals. You know his, his role kind of uncertain right now, but do you, do you think he's a, a strong bet to, to earn a rotation spot? Uh, you know I don't think much has changed. I've I've been saying that I think Carlos Martinez kind of gets that spot, but mm-hmm. I I still think Gonzalez ends up pitching. 120, 140 innings or so in that rotation this year. He might not start there though, so I mean you're gonna have to be a little patient if he if he indeed ends up not getting that job. I just think that you know he's kind of he's looked great in in spring by by all accounts so far, and I I just really like his pitch mix. I like his composure on the mound. Uh, I like the the team that he's on and the catcher he's he's throwing to. So I mean I just I think there's a lot to like here. Not a ton of downside. I mean, if you look at his numbers from last year, they get a ERA in the, the low fours. I, I look at that as as his floor, and I just don't think it'll hurt you. I mean, if you roll the dice with him, it maybe it won't work out, but he's not going to blow up in your face. You know, I like that that you're willing to you know, kind of overlook the fact that you know, you don't think he's going to break camp in, with a rotation spot, but you're not putting so much stock into that. I think that's one mistake some people think there's what some people make is that you know they see you know him kind of behind in the competition maybe or no no set role and they and they really discount him maybe take him off their mixed league radar but but you're you're in on uh, Gonzalez as more than just an NL only and I, I respect that cuz you you see the big picture uh, Carlos Martinez meanwhile kind of roughed up in his last start allowed five runs over 3 and 2 thirds, but you know didn't really have any trouble in the early going really kind of Got into some some trouble in the third and fourth innings. Seems to be you know the front runner for that job right now. But I, I'm with you. I think he you know kind of ends up losing that spot. And you know, of course they're they're dealing with injuries to Wainwright and Lance Lynn already. So uh, there could be a spot sooner rather than later for a guy like Marco Gonzalez. Uh, we'll jump to the next pitcher on your list here of uh, for 2015, Andrew Heaney. You know, talked about it a bit with DVR on the XM show. Really in- impressed with him. Watching out his, against the Reds where he really locked up Joey Votto on a slider um, on the corner. It looked really good. And, you know, strong lefty. I was surprised the Dodgers kind of moved him uh, in that Howie Kendrick deal after getting him from Miami. Uh, do, I mean, what do you think with him? Is, is he somebody that 
you know, in that park, you expect the home run numbers to come down because that was his problem really last year uh, in his audition with with the Marlins. I just I'm not reading. I don't think anyone should look at what he did in his 29 and a third innings with the Marlins last year and and really hold it against him at all. You look at his numbers every step of the way in the minor leagues, and they're they're almost identical from from level to level. I mean, just just a guy that's gonna. Have have pretty solid command. Maybe maybe have like a a K to nine around eight eight and a half or something like that in the big leagues. And you know a lefty pitching in that rotation, uh, just a lot of stuff could go right for him from a fantasy perspective this year. Yeah, I'm with you. I I think as far as you know source of wins, everything really whip ERA. And yeah, the I, I'm with you. Don't put too much stock into it into his numbers last year and I, I'd say especially with the home run issues because his home run rate was up over 18 it's but in the minors a, yeah it's not a big enough sample yeah size. exactly and in the minors his home run per, per nine was just 0.5 so I think that was definitely very fluky now n- next up Carlos Rodon of the White Sox looked looked really good this spring um, he's another guy who's definitely doesn't have a, a defined role just yet uh, but with Chris Sale likely out I mean, that could be opening early on, but I think, again, with this guy is another person you're looking more, you know, full season, big picture with him. Uh, do you think he's, you know, by a certain time will have a, a regular rotation spot, or do you think it'll kind of be, you know, spot starts here and there, uh, working out of the bullpen maybe uh, throughout much of the first half? I don't know what they're going to do with him. I wouldn't be surprised if they – had him start the year in the minor leagues and then uh you know kind of same thing as same thing with marco gonzalez like even if he doesn't start the year in the rotation he's gonna make you know 20 or so starts i would say for the white Sox this year just by either replacing a guy that's struggling or by someone getting hurt um and he's just got of the of the guys on this tier i would put his uh you know, per inning potential ahead of everybody. And that includes the guy that is first in the tier, just because I think he's got elite bat missing stuff. Uh, that slider is just nasty and the, you know, mm-hmm. the fastball and everything from, from the left side. I'd really excited about watching him pitch this year. I, I don't think you're going to get much more than a 120, 140 innings out of him. If, if you roster him in a mixed league, but while he's out there, I mean that that should still be pretty solid production. And this guy is just a horse. I mean, big, strong lower body that he just—it looks like he can hold up to a 200 inning workload already. I mean, there, uh, that's not going to be the case this year, but he looks like he could hold up to that. And I'm excited. He was a guy who—it's surprising to me that he went for less than Dalton Pompey in our staff <laughs> keeper league auction. He went for 14 to Nick Schlein. I know you were in on him, but you'd kind of. You know, hedged your bets and went after a guy like Matt Latos early. Where would you draw the line in just a standard mixed league as far as he goes? Would you be willing to go, you know, five to ten, or would you draw the line even before five bucks? Uh, you know, in a twelve-team auction, I wouldn't go to five on him. Mm-hmm. I just don't see the need. I mean, if he's going for five, I've just let someone have him at that point. But I, I totally get it from where we were coming from in our mix league because that means you get him at that price uh for 2016 and 2017 and in those years you're gonna i mean he could go 180 innings in 2016 
you could go 210 innings in 2017, and at that point you're looking like a p- potential uh, top 20 starter. Top pitcher on the board for 2015, Noah Syndergaard. Of course, the injury to Zach Wheeler kind of clears his path a bit. Sounds like Dylan G will get, you know, step in temporarily. But Syndergaard's a guy that you were high on to begin with in the initial Rotowire roundtable. And this these rankings, we put these together over a month ago, I believe. You had Syndergaard at 249 overall. I had him at, uh, let's see here, 308. So I wasn't nearly as high, but definitely in my top 350 still. Uh, does Has things changed with the Wheeler injury? And if so, how much of a boost are you giving him? Yeah, I I maybe was a tad aggressive on him uh, with that 249 uh, when we first did those. But, I mean, now I think that that might be even a, a little low. I, I would probably move him up kind of into that 220 range or so. I just think that it's really, really a matter of time at this point before he gets in that rotation with just what he just needs one injury he just needs one guy to kind of have a rough couple of weeks and there were quotes kind of interesting quotes i guess from um uh from their manager today when when he was talking about rafael montero and what his role would be this year and he's like i don't want to send him back to las vegas i don't like the idea of you know kind of throwing him back into that fire when mm-hmm. he's already proved that he can handle it and that's the exact same thing that Noah Syndergaard's basically facing. I mean, do you want to f- send him back to Las Vegas for a couple of months? That doesn't seem potentially ruin his optimal at all. So yeah, I think that they're gonna act pretty quickly with him, and they've they've gotten burned. Like you know, Zach Wheeler, Matt Harvey, these guys, TJ, and do you want do you want Noah Syndergaard to have to have TJ after? Ugh you know, spending a good chunk of the year in the minors, or would you prefer to at least extract some value from the big league level? Get something while you can. Yeah, pitching is just so volatile nowadays. I mean, it's always been, but it seems like especially the past couple of years, and I'm with you, there's no real good to send him back to Las Vegas. Um, and, and I'm excited about him. He's looked he's looked pretty darn good. I mean, he had a little – he had a hiccup yesterday against the Red Sox, but overall he's looked good. Velocity's up there, and I think – I think he'll definitely pay dividends. I'm going to give him a slight boost, but I think, um, you know, I don't know if the the injury really changes a whole lot. He doesn't have a rotation spot still, but I think he'd, he'd probably be next man up you know, for a spot start or an injury replacement. So I'm excited about him. We're actually going to draw it on this article there, James. We can you can get to your other tiers next week, maybe. I mean, you have a lot of great stuff here. If you want to check it out and don't have a Rotowire subscription, feel free to go to rotowire.com slash pod to get a 10-day free trial. No strings attached, no credit card or anything like that. We'll simply set you up with 10 days of free access, and you can lose, and then you would lose access. Uh, Again, no strings attached, no credit card required. I want to touch on your Super 2 piece here. Again, this was, you know, something a reader pointed out and recommended uh, we we put up, and I think it's definitely a good something good because we hear Super 2 thrown around a lot. Um but you know hard to really explain you know really easily but i think this is definitely beneficial do you want to just kind of explain exactly uh some of the rules as far as super 2 eligibility and uh arbitration status goes yeah i mean i think the best thing for you to do if you really if this is something you're just not that familiar with or you really want to get a good grasp is to just read the article it's probably the shortest article i'm gonna write all year i mean i think it's <laughs> yeah. probably what like 600 words or so Four paragraphs. Uh, and 
it was it was supposed to actually go in that that tears article we were just discussing, but it didn't really fit, so we just mm-hmm. made it a separate standalone piece. And I don't even think you need a subscription to read it. I believe it's it's free content, so uh, definitely check that out. But I mean, I think people uh, throw around the term Super Two like. You know they'll be talking about Chris Bryan and like, well, you know, Super Two is going to keep him down, but that's not what's going to keep him down. Like mm. Super Two is if you are between two and three years of big league service time, and you are and you rank within the top twenty-two percent of all two-year players in terms of service time, then you're going to become arbitration eligible uh, over that over that winter. So. It's not even something where it's like, oh, we know that the cutoff date's going to be here, so we're going to call them up here. This is something that's going to happen three years down the line mm-hmm. where the time you decided to call the guy up in 2015, you're not going to know whether or not you called him up too early or too late until 2017 or 2018 or whatever it is. So mm-hmm. uh, teams are going to use Super 2 to kind of hold guys down, but they're not. it's not an exact thing where we can just be like, oh, well, on this date, on, on July 6th, they're going to bring him up because mm-hmm. he's going to be past Super 2. They don't know that yet. Uh, kind of a good rule of thumb is if a guy gets called up before July, then that means they're probably going to be a Super 2 candidate. Uh, Mid-July is usually when the cutoff's been falling lately, so uh teams if they want to be careful you'll see a lot of guys get called up in august or september just because that way the team basically knows that we're not going to lose out or we're not going to give an extra year arbitration to this player yeah i mean you said it really i mean you laid it out great here but you said it best i think we said it's it's a very inact science you know it's it's not there's not a super two deadline for for players it's it's all about all these other considerations and yeah eligibility arbitration eligibility um yeah the the fact that you know these these are pretty complex rules i mean but i think it's worth understanding if you're really serious about fantasy and especially you know dynasty things like that where you have minor league spots and you have to decide you know what what to do with with certain players when to call them up uh so in in light of this i mean you have chris bryan i mean he's the obvious guy with with service time considerations that are going to affect his his call up, but what about guys like per- he also was Jose Peraza, Francisco Lindor, Stephen Piscotti, Miguel Sano. You mentioned that you think Bryant will be up, you know, after just a couple of weeks. But do you think you know these kind of considerations will will delay the arrival of some of these guys until later in the season? Yeah, I mean, those were just kind of some hitters that I threw out there as potential guys that their team might hold them down for super two considerations. I, I think uh, we'll, we'll get to Brian in a minute. I mean, his, his is strictly a gaining a year of control issue mm-hmm. and that's not super two related, but uh, you know, Jose Peraza, I could, I don't necessarily think they'll hold him down until late July, but they could, I mean, the Braves are kind of a stingy organization and I mean, that's, it could end up saving them about, 10 15 million dollars or so if they can eliminate that extra year arbitration from him uh francisco lindor kind of same thing i mean cleveland doesn't have a ton of money he's going to be a guy that's going to be getting uh pretty big arbitration settlements i would imagine so i could i could see them doing that with him uh piscotti i don't think the cardinals are afraid to give him you know another year arbitration but if they don't have a place to put him or anywhere to play him it doesn't really make sense to bring him up until after that uh, 
after what they kind of guess the Super 2 deadline might be is, has passed. And then Miguel Sano, I think, is a very obvious one that's going to be affected by this because the Twins don't have a lot of money, and he probably wasn't going to come up before August anyways, so mm. they're going to have no reason to rush him. I mean, if, you, if you're expecting a mid-July debut from Sano, I would kind of erase that from your mind. I mean, I'm thinking early August at the very earliest with Sano. Again, thank you for laying this all out, James. If you want to read it, the article is called Fantasy 101, Super 2 Status and Arbitration. And again, uh, free content, so you can check this out even if you're not a paid subscriber or have a trial. I uh, just want to throw this out there that the collecting collective bargaining agreement defines uh, a year of service time as 172 days on the Major League roster. Uh, the typical season lasts 183 days, so keep that in mind. And players are entitled to free agency after six or more Major League years of service and and i'll just throw this out so i kind of did the math on this and this is what you saw happen last year with george springer when he got called up uh the astros were waiting until they could get him up without it counting as a as a full year of service time uh the math on chris bryant means that april 17th is the first game that he could play in with them getting that extra year of of control over him so i think that if you're a bryant owner that should kind of be the date that you have circled on your calendar. It's a home series against the Padres. It's a weekend series at Wrigley. I would imagine, I mean, what better, it's the opener of that yeah. series too. I mean, what better time to call him up than, you know, you get that home crowd, a weekend, a Friday. I mean, that could be a huge game. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you're kind of trying to figure out handicap when you think Brian will be up, April 17th is my, my date. It's going to be a party in Chicago that day. And if you're an owner, I mean, what a perfect way to just you know pop a bottle, <laughs> celebrate a little bit. Your your big dog's finally up. I'm gonna be raking for you. I'm, I'm definitely excited. Uh, but yeah, again, uh, we'll, we'll touch more on some of those tiers next week. But I want to get to uh, a, a portion of the show which I think is gaining some steam and some uh, getting some some chatter. This is what everyone basically <laughs> tuned into. Too I mean, beautiful. I'm sure. I mean, this we should have kind of like a big like a loud noise at this part <laughs> so the people it? that are fast forwarding through the pod <laughs> to get to this spot know when to stop but yeah. uh, we're, we're here we made it yeah we got the wrestling crowd t- turning into fantasy baseball just because they uh, have to sit through that first part but yeah w- what we're doing here at the end of each uh roadwire prospect podcast is is looking at one of the classic professional wrestlers of our you know heyday i guess you could say and grading him uh, on the 20 to 80 scale in five categories, kind of the five tools that we settled on as far as a professional wrestler goes and how they should be evaluated. Uh, so those five tools, just to break it down again for for our listeners, look, entrance, signature move, command of crowd, and ring presence. Last week we did the alt, uh, sorry, last week we did Mr. Perfect. This week we're doing Ultimate Warrior. Uh, two all-time classics. I think moving forward, we're going to try to to get to some more uh, lower name type of wrestlers, or not maybe not as big name guys, just so that you know we're not just handing out eighties like like crazy. Right. We're you know right now we're we're going to have a couple guys first two weeks that are basically Hall of Fame level, uh, based on how we graded them out. And it'd be kind of nice to get some fringe average guys in there, some guys that overall grade out to like a 45 or something like that. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that'd be kind of an interesting little, yeah. little twist. We're going to have to do that. Just throw those guys in there. We'll, we'll get to all the yeah. all the big dogs, but we yeah. want to get to some of those guys, maybe like 
the Canadian strongman, uh, Dino Bravo, maybe throw him in there. But that's just something we'll have to keep in mind. Maybe we can announce that via Twitter, who, who next week's is going to be later in the week. We, we still haven't decided on next week's uh, wrestler. But, again, this week, the Ultimate Warrior. Rest in peace to the Ultimate Warrior. He passed away uh, right around this time last year, actually. It's been almost a year now, which is crazy. But uh, one of my favorites growing up definitely had a Ultimate Warrior Halloween costume myself. Uh, the the energy he brought to the table was, was really unparalleled. But let's just get right into it as far as look goes. Uh, what's your grade here, James? Oh, man, such an easy 80. Uh, I mean, the, the paint profile, the the tassels, the, the, the pure strength, the upper body. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, the hair, the mask. I mean, it's all, it just all works. I mean, it's, it's the, it's the complete package. It's what you're looking for. It's what gets the, the people in the seats. It's what get, gets people to tune in. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I really, if you were just designing a, a wrestler and like a video game or something, I don't think you could do any better than, uh, and the ultimate warriors look i'm with the easy 80 uh sets the bar as far as i'm concerned still sets the bar i mean nobody i don't think anybody's surpassed him since to be honest i mean this look is incredible the face paint the tassels yes the everything the hair profile i mean this is this is a guy who you know at the time when hulkamania was running wild the fact that he came in and challenged hulk hulk hogan's popularity uh, i think a lot of that had to do with the look but I think a lot of it also had to do with the entrance. I mean, right. what, what did you? What do you think here? Uh, another easy eighty. Uh, I mean, this is <laughs> this is how you want your your wrestler to en- enter the ring, in my opinion. I mean, mm-hmm. just running out of the locker room, pointing to the crowd, uh, you know, jumping in the ring, sliding into the ring, shaking the shaking the bars. I mean, oh man, you can't you can't beat it. Uh, I mean that that entrance music too. I mean, if this is if you're ever kind of like, I don't know. I mean, if you're just kind of raging on on like a Friday night or something, and it's and it's one thirty in the morning, and you don't know if you have the the strength to keep going, and and everybody wants to go to, you know, another party or another bar, and you could just kind of play this Ultimate Warrior entrance music in your head. I mean, that, that that'll get you going. <laughs> you get the idea just the frenetic energy through the roof i mean shredding uh, another 80 for me too i mean not even a question i mean the hair the hair the tassels like the i mean it's just when you're running and it's just i mean it's just great i mean that's the big thing too is i mean the, the entrance music was incredible still one of my favorite entrance musics but also, yeah, just the fact that he ran. I mean, nobody else ran to the ring. He would run, shake he the was, ropes. He didn't have time for, you know, to play games. No. I mean, he, he came to mess, <laughs> to mess stuff up. Mess stuff up. <laughs> I mean, he came to the ring, shook the ropes, you know, beat on his chest. It was incredible. Yeah. But I remember, I remember vividly the retirement match with him and Randy Savage where he walked to the ring. I was, like, blown away that he was actually walking and saving his energy because – you know, I I just had was so used to seeing him run, and uh, as a kid, I was a little little sad. Yeah, I mean, 
the shaking the <laughs> the shaking the ropes is I mean if, if you were wondering whether or not Ultimate Warrior was on something, I mean, he, he kind of erased any doubt <laughs> with, with the way he would shake those ropes. I mean this was this was a you know a prime time in our in our nation's history of of getting getting kind of amped up with uh, with artificial means and and I mean nobody nobody quite did it the way that Ultimate Warrior did it. Yeah, he was he was incredible, and <laughs> I I I think think the entrance is something that uh, will live in, in memories forever. And uh, but getting to the next tool, this is where we start to you know see a drop off and. <coughs> In talent a bit, um, and we have some some differing opinions here. As far as the signature move goes, now the Ultimate Warrior had a kind of a strange, similar uh, finishing move. He, he did a Gorilla Press Slam, which was usually impressive. Because, I mean, obviously with that kind of strength to deadlift a guy over your head and, and drop him on his face is impressive. But then he did a little off the ropes backsplash onto their under their back and then he rolled them over and pinned them uh kind of a unique move but nothing that really blew me away what, what was your grade here i went 45 uh just kind of you know i i i question whether or not it was the best use of his his physical gifts his abilities um i mean it's kind of uh you know i i don't know i i think that I like. I mean, he was he was the best in the biz at the press, mm-hmm. uh, and just the press by itself is very impressive. But then it, it goes kind of downhill from there. I mean, the like you said. I mean, the the splash on the back. I mean, that's it. it that's a hard move to kind of even sell as if like you're doing any harm to the person. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, it it just doesn't look that painful. No, it doesn't. Yeah, and I mean the the press onto their face. I mean that was that was kind of cool, but. I also think he kind of like he wasn't the safest worker I've heard, <laughs> and so he kind of hurt some people I've sometimes. Heard. And plus, a big thing for me too is that he didn't have a name for it. He didn't yeah. have a name for his finisher. I mean, everybody else. I mean, Million Dollar Dream to the Stone Cold Stunner to the Perfect Plex, as we talked about last week. You really had to have a cool name for your finishing move, and the Warrior didn't have that. So I got him at a fifty-five. Still impressed with the, with the raw strength and the gorilla press, but. Uh, you know what? I'm gonna bump that down to a to a fifty. I'm sorry, I got to do that right now. Um, you got a forty-five. I want to give him a fifty, but fifty-five. This is why we talk this through. This is why we got to talk it through. Another fifty for me. Command of crowd. Uh, now, Warriors interviews, which kind of come into this, you know, his interviews and mic skills come into this. He had a definitely a unique style, which was kind of cool. Um. But I also didn't understand what the hell he was saying most of the time. <laughs> he was That's just kind of like talking he was about odd stuff. <laughs> he was just like kind of just <laughs> rambling about like existential like things and, and things that were over my head as a kid. <laughs> Plus, when he was in the ring, I mean, ring presence is next. But I think you know the in-ring story storytelling was kind of lacking. Yeah, I mean, there there's certain guys, and and I think. Uh, perfect kind of fit into this category too where you know they didn't they didn't show up to really talk to the crowd i mean they yeah. they came to, to to break skulls and to look <laughs> awesome i mean that you know talking to the crowd was was way down the list of priorities so yeah. i mean i'm not hating on it i mean it is one of the five tools though so we have to go out and go ahead and rate it but uh 
you know, I mean, he, he wasn't there to, to kind of make friends or to kind of tell a, tell a story. I mean, he was just there to kind of show you what he had. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, you still have him up at 65, which I think is a, a lofty grade, but well, yeah, that wasn't a priority. The command of crowd, I, I, I give him the 65 just because, I mean, it's impossible to really ever take your eyes mm-hmm, off him. And it kind of, it bleeds into ring presence a little bit there. Uh, but I mean, it, I would have been rooting for Ultimate Warrior, you know, nonstop in the crowd. So I mean, at that point, you gotta gotta cut him a little slack. Just uh, no, that's true. That. He was, yeah, you're right. When when he was in the ring, you it was all eyes on him. And I mean, the crowd loved him. Plus, his his matches were always really short. So it was nice to that he could just hold <laughs> short, your attention for short that. And sweet. Yeah, exactly. Hold your attention for that bit of time, and then kind of you know just let just leave and you know leave the fans you know satisfied but one of his interviews i remember just being hilarious is when he is leading up to wrestlemania 6 i I don't know if you remember this james but he told hulk hogan that he was going to hijack his plane and and take it into a nose (laughs) (laughs) really kind of like dark yeah dark at the time (laughs) i mean Maybe I should bump him, bump that score up a little bit for that interview alone, but I'll leave it as is for now. Now, ring presence, I got him at he was, a seven. He was never scared. <laughs> never scared. <laughs> never scared of what he never might say scared. into the mic. Yeah, and never scared of, like, the backstage stuff. He was always, you know, up in Vince McMahon's face, held him up for a pay raise once before a pay-per-view. <laughs> I mean, that, that takes some cojones, all right? So, you know. He was a bad dude. <laughs> <laughs> he was. I was glad they reconciled their differences, but I think McMahon fired him like four times. <laughs> uh, ring presence seventy for me. You got him at seventy-five. I mean, yeah, you're right that you know the the things you pointed out uh, just recently kind of carry over. But uh, what what makes you have have him this high in this category? Well, it it is. It's part of the. You know, the the categories we've already hit on, look, entrance, uh, I mean, ring presence, what he did uh, with the the shaking of the ropes, I mean, nothing screams ring presence to me like shaking the the ropes of the ring at – at fever pitches that, I mean, you really could not – I mean, you couldn't couldn't get that much bounce in those – without those pipes and without those drugs. So, I mean, I I like the – I like the ring presence. I think that I mean the like we touched on with Commander Crowd. I mean, are you ever not just in awe of him when he's in the ring? I mean that that's got to count for something. Yeah, that's a good point. And the ring presence, yeah, just that he was larger than life. I mean, guy, that's why I got him up at seventy. And um, yeah, I think you know I pointed out that you know short matches, which in some way help, but it also maybe kind of took away from his ring presence a little bit just because he wasn't the best in the ring too. I mean, he was an athletic specimen. He was, he was the best at getting to the ring. He was <laughs> getting the ring. I think as, as JR Jim Ross said, you know, the meat and potatoes was before the bell rang with him. I mean, between the bells, not, not the best, but I still have him at a 70, 65 overall for me. Wanted to go a little higher, but I think the signature move commanded crowd realistically bumps him down still you know we're talking about a perennial all-star type of guy but and of course a wwe hall of famer uh one of my all-time favorites but i think if we're being realistic i'm gonna go 65 probably my my all-time favorite just because if if i can pick any two 
any two tools to grade out as 80s, I'll take look and entrance, and I'll take them all day. So, I mean, to me, I mean, that's 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 a pretty good building block right there. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I also loved when he, you know, when he did have long matches, the, well, if you haven't seen it, go check out the retirement <laughs> match against Randy Savage at WrestleMania 7. I mean, when he'd have a long match and then his, his face paint would get worn off and he'd be, you know, still running on the ropes, just, you know, trying to, you know, get the crowd back into it and, you know, kind of like hulking up like Hulk Hogan did, but it was kind of the Warriors version of it. Uh, one of the best. And, you know, 65 to me seems fair, but at the same time, I could see the argument for having him higher. Uh, so now we have, we both had perfect at 70. You have Warrior at 70. I got Warrior at 65. And I think, you know, the in-ring limitations had a lot to do with that, but so do we. Do we go out and? Uh, I mean, are you, do you want to you want to do Snake next week? Jake the Snake, we can do that. Is there anyone else you're thinking? No, but I also wanted to maybe think it over and maybe get to one of those you know kind of lesser guys that we talked about. Well, I mean, Snake's not going to grade out <laughs> too well. <laughs> That's true. I'll give you a hint though that he's got an eighty entrance and eighty. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe yeah, I don't know. That's, I don't want to give too much away, but maybe we can. <laughs> He's got a his look is going to be a sub <laughs> sub thirty <laughs> sub yeah. thirty look. Yeah, shout out to <laughs> Kylo from the library here in Madison for the uh, for the love of this an, segment. An eighty sweat profile, <laughs> eighty receding hairline too. Uh, I'm right there with him, but uh, no, I want to let thank you for listening to the Rotowire. Prospect podcast uh, every Tuesday from now until the end of the season. And once the season starts, we're going to be uh, watching one game a week and uh, coming with, to you with our, our takes and observations from that. Uh, but, James, thank you. If, you, if you're out on tw- Twitter, you can find James at RealJRAnderson. I'm at Clay W. Link. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll see you next week. So, you own your own business. Got small ambitions for this business? Of course, you don't. Got medium ambitions for this business? Of course, you don't. Who has medium ambitions? You got big ambitions. If you're a growing business with big ambitions, you want to grow with Granger. Granger has the products, the services, and more importantly, the commitment you need. Total commitment. If you're a growing business, Granger's got your back. Call clickgranger.com or stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.